Welcome to this week's episode of the HC Hive, a podcast about all things HCI, UX, and grad school. We're now in Hershali, students in Georgia Tech's Human Computer Interaction Program. In this episode, we will be talking about academic art backgrounds in UX. Today, we have Sue and Ria as our lovely guests. So, Sue, why don't you start us off with a little introduction about yourself? Hi, I'm Suryan Kim, and I'm a first-year MSHCI student in interactive computing track. I'm an art museum employee turned into a UX designer, and I'm interested in art education and community engagement through technology. Hi, I'm Ria Leroya. I'm a UX designer, and I'm a second-year student in the HCI program at Georgia Tech. I have a degree in graphic design, but I pivoted and went into UX, and I'm interested in mainly spatial computing. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for joining us. Wow, that's really interesting. Spatial computing. I'm sure we'll get more into that later. To start us off, um, we'd like to know a little bit more about your background. So really get dig a little bit deeper into those introductions. Um, so how did you find yourself kind of in the art world or art adjacent, I guess, whether it was through your education or professional experience? Ria, maybe you can start us off on this one. Yeah, so I've always loved to draw and paint um, ever since I was a little kid. And I knew that I wanted to go to art school when I was, I think, six. So my whole life was kind of devoted to just learning about art, learning about art theory. And eventually I, I did go to art school, but I did graphic design, mostly because it was just, I guess, a better professional choice for me. Yeah, that's, that's kind of my journey into art and design. And my first job was at this company called Potion, which was kind of, it was a dream job for me because it was a studio that designs interactive experiences for museums. So I got to kind of blend the whole art and design thing in that space. And it was just, it was a fascinating experience. Yeah, that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that, especially how you mentioned your dream role doing kind of these like immersive experiences, which is kind of cool to see I guess, like that connection to UX and HCI, which we'll touch on a little bit later. Sue, what about you? How did you kind of find yourself in this area from your experience? Yeah, like Ria said, ever since I was young, my mom took me to a lot of art museums all over the world. So my interest in art started very early. And during undergrad, I studied computer science and studio arts. And I had a chance to work in my school museum. And there I learn how to curate and facilitate tours. And that kind of led me to the art museum industry. So I interned at North Carolina Museum of Art in education department, coming up with workshops and tours. Yeah, I worked as an art teacher at Zobi Art Center and visit experience associate at the Museum of Contemporary Art Chicago and member services assistant at the High Museum here in Atlanta. Wow. Yeah, that's great to really hear like both the breadth and depth of your experiences um, in this area. We're great fans of the high music. <laughs> so love that we were able to give a shout out there. But yeah, just kind of follow up, like what sort of skills did you all find yourself applying to these experiences? Like Sue, you've mentioned a bit of a CS background and Ria more specifically with your experience, like graphic design. So how did those skills from those areas translate to the work you did, like whether it was at these different museums or like making these kind of immersive experiences? So background in computer science 
definitely give me the language and knowledge on technical development. But I think in HCI, I think I'm applying my art museum experience more than my CS. While I was working at the MCA in the high, I had a lot of opportunities to really hone in on my communication skill and problem solving skill. I talked to a lot of patrons in person firsthand and helping walkthroughs of exhibition layouts and label reading and basically talking to visitors and how can we make a better programs or how can we make more welcoming and pleasant museum visit. So it's very similar principles of UX design and research. So yeah, in a sense, I was doing a service design without knowing it at the museum. Researching and what's the problem and then creating it and fixing it or making it better for visitors and members. Yeah, it's cool to, like, when we reflect on all of our individual experience, seeing how it connects to UX and kind of finding that problem space and then researching and then creating design out of it. It's really interesting to hear about all these different backgrounds and how they kind of lend themselves to what we're doing now. But yeah, that was great, Sue. Thanks for sharing that. Ria, how about you? What sort of skills did you find yourself kind of translating to what you were doing? I have a graphic design background and what was really helpful at least in terms of, you know, transferring the skills of graphic design to UX was just more of the visual design, the basis in visual design that I had. Because I worked at agencies, I was kind of doing work from the full breadth of design to research, design and deployment. So I really found it useful to use the graphic design knowledge I had in creating concepts at those agencies. Yeah, thanks for sharing, you guys. It's really interesting to see how you guys were kind of doing HCI or user experience work even before you were in this program or kind of really focusing on user experience. So it is interesting that you guys have always kind of had that piece in in your mind and in your careers and in your educations. But, you know, since you two are in the MSHCI program now, you've experienced those more purely artistic experiences and educations and also like this more design and maybe even research focused education. You've learned that from classroom settings in undergrad or from more professional experiences like museums and agencies. So there might be some differences in kind of those environments and thinking about courses or even structures, why you do certain projects or work. How would you compare those learning experiences of learning art or art history or curation even? And how does that compare to like human-centered design and, and learning that process? In undergrad, when I was taking studio art classes, In terms of course structure of studio art class and HCI, I think they're very similar because we'll have some lectures on theories and then we have actual implementation of these theories and your ideas. But the biggest difference between my studio art courses and my experience and the HCI design projects is I think the critique session. So usually, In studio art class, you get to see everyone's work side by side, like three to four times in a semester. And as a whole class, you critique it all together with your professors. But in HCI, there is, but it's more like the users are your critics in HCI instead of just your peers. So I think in terms of that, that's really different. But I think theories and principle, I think, I don't know, those are similar. Yeah, I can see how like we might approach these topics in, in a very similar way, whether it's pure art or if it's design. 
Yeah, that made sense that the core structure might be the same. But I agree. I think I think that's an interesting point that you brought up, Sue, that our credits are our users and, and they provide kind of that rubric or that those grades that we're looking for. Thanks for sharing that sort of perspective. Rhea, how about you? What are kind of like the differences you've seen between the art world and, and the design world? Yeah, I want to touch upon something Sue said about critiquing and communicating ideas effectively. I remember spending five hours in a drawing class walking around every person's drawing that they had done for the week and then critiquing it. And I think that doesn't really happen as much, I think, at least in the, in the HCI program, although it does happen professionally. I don't think people spend, you know, five hours critiquing things, but there is, there is that aspect of critiquing that's really important. Something else I was thinking about is that the school I went to, RISD, it really valued conceptual thinking and being able to make sort of, you know, concrete designs from really ambiguous prompts. And that doesn't really happen, I think, in, in HCI. Um, I think you typically start with defined problem spaces, or even if they're not well-defined, you kind of scope it down. So I think that there is that difference in that with the drawing, you may be doing kind of more conceptual thinking, um, producing something for, for yourself, whereas with UX, you're typically producing for a wider audience, and the problem is, is more defined. That's interesting from a research perspective, because I feel like it is our job to do that sort of narrowing and that scoping for you guys as designers. We try to give you as much clarity as possible about what should be built. So it is interesting that you made that distinction that like in HCI, there is a lot less sort of conceptual thinking. And I think just mm -hmm. HCI is a lot more practical, right? Like I remember one <laughs> prompt that I got in a, in a sculpting class. It was to kind of take this lump of clay and form a rock out of it and then carve the opposite of what a rock would be on the back of the rock. So it was it was a very kind of vague prompt and you could you could really do anything you wanted and justify it at the end of the day. But with HCI, you have to justify everything you do. And also like in Studio R course, I think you're trying to convey or trying to communicate your vision into something and nobody else's so it's your own focus instead of someone else's but in hci you have to think everything in terms of your users so a follow-up to that do you guys think that studio art or kind of a purely artistic pursuit could ever be a team activity the way hci almost always is i, I guess you were saying how you sort of come up with the concepts and you kind of realize it as a solo artist or as an artist, but as a designer, you're, you have stakeholders, you have people that you are surrounded by that aren't artists or designers. Because at HCI, you're supposed to work in an interdisciplinary team. And do you think that's possible in art? But I feel like if everyone, all the artists who are coming together are having the same or like similar view on idea or even drastically different, but I, I do believe they can come together and create it. Like, for example, like Mia Wolf, a lot of artists came in to create this whole experience and it all kind of connects with each other. So I do think it's a, it's a possible thing. <laughs> I think another important distinction, um, just jumping off what both of you were saying, is that art can be kind of left to interpretation. If there are two people in a room and they're looking at a painting and they have different ideas of what the painting means, that's that's actually great, right? Because you're kind of like evaluating the painting from different perspectives, but that doesn't necessarily play out well in design. If you're trying to communicate an idea, you don't want people to have different interpretations of that idea. Um, so I think that's another 
distinction between the two. Yeah, sorry, I'm like really, I'm trying to wrap my head over all of the comments being made just now. I'm still, Sue, earlier you mentioned the differences between when you were doing more studio art and then in HCI, how in your critique sessions, it was your critiques and your professors were involved. But what's interesting is like when the users are involved, it's like they're the experts, right? We're all experts of our own experience. So it's really interesting to think about that dynamic and how it's switched within HCI. But I also was thinking just now, I think a lot of people have this perception of design as um, there's that quote where art meets science. It's interesting because I think art is much more fluid, kind of like how Rhea was talking about how people who look at art, if it's a, for example, like the painting example she provided, they have their different interpretations of what they're looking at. But when you apply science or you apply certain methods to it, then there's that level of practicality to it where there is a formula, there is a right answer. I don't know what the original question was, but this is all very interesting to think about. And it kind of goes into the next question since we we're talking about this blend of art and design and HCI. But UX is a pretty like broad field where people of all different backgrounds can use their unique knowledge and skills. So see, so you had CS, Studio Art, Rhea, your graphic design, and both of you all had experiences working at museums and agencies and things like that. But out of what you learned, both inside and outside of the classroom, what skills do you think you were able to transition to UX pretty well? And then on the other side, what skills do you think don't transfer as well? So I do believe computer science and uh, my background in art and art museum, those are all very transferable. Like I said earlier, communications and problem solving in my work is very transferable, almost all of it to UX. But in terms of, again, like so your art classes, like I said, you're solely focusing on your expressing your visions and your own aesthetics. And they really want you to build, build your own visual language in studio art and like your own style. So to me, like my takeaway from this program is that how being okay with changing my aesthetics like from the data and from user opinions instead of my own. So you basically can't transfer the stubbornness of your own aesthetics, your built visual language, because in UX, almost everything is about your user, not yourself. So you, are, you have to be okay with a lot of changes and iterations that might be very different from your original visual and aesthetics. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think like as, as a researcher, I don't think about like aesthetics and things like that, but it's, I feel like what you're saying is really interesting, Sue, because in design, I feel like we, there's also design trends that people kind of not rely on, but I like certain design patterns or things that we put into our different like solutions and in our different projects, whether it's for work or school, because it's like what users are used to. So I feel like similar to what you were kind of alluding to, I think there's less room for experimentation, whereas maybe for like more art and artistic backgrounds, there would be uh, more room there. But yeah, Ria, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I was just nodding my head while Sue was talking because I completely <laughs> agree with what she's saying. Um, and I can even give you an example of this. So, you know, at RISD, because this is a, it's a school based in America, right? So the design principles you learned are sort of, I would say, biased in a Western way. Um, so you learn about things like negative space. You want your design to breathe and to be airy. You want to use typography that doesn't have 
too much contrast and things like that. So that's kind of the learning that I've had because I've studied in the US. And then I went to India and I worked on this app that was for a population of users that were first time, first time mobile users and primarily in villages. Um, I was looking at the kinds of designs of apps that they use and they're very loud, they're very colorful. They don't necessarily have a lot of negative space, you know? So when I was there, I had to kind of rethink and relearn what I understood about design. And that whole process was really interesting for me because when you're in school, you kind of absorb everything that you learn and you're like, okay, this is the way. But in reality, it's it's not necessarily the way, right? There are different ways to design for different audiences. So I, I completely agree with what Sue was saying. I think you have to kind of put your own design aesthetic and everything you've learned away and think about who you're designing for and what they respond to. Yeah, definitely. Like, for example, when I'm designing a UI for a mobile app and all the width of the icons should be the same, whereas like in studio art, you don't have to have this uniformity. And yeah, that was difficult for me to be like, I want to have this different weight or different size because it makes sense to my own head but it not necessarily for the users. And I think something studio art taught me was that you want to evoke an emotion in something. Mm -hmm. I think that's the basis of art in general, yeah. right? You want to, you want people to stand in front of this thing that you've made and you want to like evoke, evoke something inside them. And I think that is really helpful for UX um, because when someone's experiencing something, you do want them to feel a certain way. And it's interesting to think about like the kinds of things you can build in to an app or our website to, to actually like evoke a certain emotion. This this really applies in spatial computing experiences or when designing, you know, like for museums or like kind of larger scale interactives. Yeah, that's that's so true, Ria. I think I took one of the electives that's offered through like our industrial design track was um, design of interactive environments. And we spent like a whole month just discussing like emotional design and how like things that people resonate with and things that they can fully immerse themselves in. And even if they haven't personally experienced themselves, but being able to understand like, like a holistic view of what that experience is offering can be like really powerful. So we had examples specifically with like museums in Atlanta, like High Museum, um, the Civil Rights Museum, and even like the Children's Museum of Atlanta. I'm curious to see like if there will be like a shift with like emotional design, like digital spaces, like apps and websites. I feel like that's something we haven't really tackled yet, but there's actually another person in our program. I had to interview her for a different project, but she brought up a point where she always thought that good design was like something that evokes like human emotion. So if you were using this app and you could describe how you felt about the app with words, you would describe your relationship with someone else. Like I love this app or this app makes me happy. It's joyful, things like that. So yeah, that's a really interesting point. Mm -hmm. Another thing we'll have to ponder. <laughs> so much of this episode is stuff we need to ponder. As somebody who produces art, like Sue and Rhea, you guys, how do you guys use like artistic elements to create that emotion or create like an evocative experience? How do you take a feeling and then like pin it down and ground it and realize it in like artistic mechanics even. I mean, that's why we learn these theories and principles of like the color or hue and the shapes and the brush strokes. My primarily like traditional medium was oil paints. So 
I think it comes from your experience. So if you see a painting and you feel this way, and then you kind of examine why do you feel this way, and then take those elements from those and make it into your own experience, and then like try to recreate it that way, it's one way to do it. Or I don't know, just having having the eye. <laughs> it's stupid, but like seeing a breadth and wide variety of artworks and just getting exposed to that. Again, like I absorb it and then it's my own interpretation of those emotions and hopefully people get it. <laughs> I think like Sue said, there are certain building blocks of design that you can use. You know, you have this toolkit, you have, you have color, you have typography, you have contrast and rhythm and all these things and you know about them and it's your job to kind of string them together to tell a story. So there are other tools as well, right? You can like storyboard things. You can move things around and figure out like what is the experience that you're trying to build? Where is the climax going to be? What do you want them to leave with when they exit? I think you as a designer kind of have to think of all these things and then put, put it together. And I think testing is obviously really important. Um, and that doesn't happen with art. Like you're not going to test a piece. But I think with UX, you want to think of these things and then test and then see if you're actually evoking that emotion. And if not, go back, like see where the kind of where the problems are and then iterate and improve. That's really cool hearing about both your studio art experience and then your connection to UX. Like, I feel like, like hearing about your experiences with art and like, you really have that strong foundation of like theory and conceptual design thinking where it was like, you really understand colors and you really understand shapes and all those different kind of aspects that lead whatever medium it may be. And then seeing how you can apply it maybe across other mediums and then apply it to whatever you want to create and then adding your own interpretation. And now I'm, I feel like I'm going to get like really nerdy here, but Sue mentioned, I think a couple of minutes ago about how looking at like a wide variety of different art like really helped her. And I feel like for me, I love joining like people's different like studies because I feel like I can take something from each one and then apply it to, I guess, my own quote unquote art which happens to be research, I guess. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I, I feel like I'm learning so much just now and like speechless because I don't know. There's so, there's so many like layers to this conversation, I feel like, and we're only just touching the surface. Yeah, I mean, like there's this whole question of like inspiration, right? Like, like we get inspired by other studies and I guess for designers, it's being just inspired by other design? I think that's, that is fair to say, but it depends on the kind of design that you're talking about. So if you're talking about graphic design, branding, or uh, some kind of advertising, and then, yeah, then you look up examples and layout and things like that. But I, I think for UX design, I'm really interested in process, not necessarily what the final application look like. For me, the inspiration for UX really comes from learning about why a designer made a decision not really about looking at the, the final aesthetic of it. Yeah. When I was researching about UX design job at first, like what is the difference between the graphic design and like it's the whole process of research and designing, not necessarily just the visual aesthetics. And also like Ria, you brought up interesting point that in, in terms of branding, like there, you can't do homage in <laughs> like in studio art, you can do that. Yeah. I think there is difference between what you can and what you cannot in UX. 
Yeah, and that's not to say that I don't love looking up these things. Like I love going on these inspiration websites for like brand for branding or for poster design or things like that and just like looking at them. Like I think there's something so enjoyable about looking at something that's beautifully designed. And I think that just comes from my background in in art and design. Yeah, definitely. I downloaded an app when I was in Korea and it was so beautiful and something very different from what I've been seeing because it was an app for a building and then it kind of felt like an elevator. It has a floor, like it felt like a floor within the app. Yeah, looking at different ones, like it really, like just like any art or going into a museum, you can just simply do that within your phone. Again, like lots of things to think about. It's interesting. I, I think it's cool how you guys touched on how the process of UX can be particularly inspiring rather than like solely like looking at um, the visuals. I think that's really cool because I'll add on to that. I think like maybe for some of us, at least for me, what's inspiring, I think, is just like observing other people and how they kind of go about doing things. And then I feel like sometimes whether explicitly or implicitly, um, I kind of base, like my projects are on based on like what I observed. So that can be kind of inspiring as well. Um, but yeah, so as we're kind of like wrapping up this episode, it is time for our favorite part, which is the hot takes. Um, so today, feel free to give us all the drama. But what is something that you two learned through your education or work that you think that all UX designers should be required to learn? I would say, I know that we have a project studio and that we learn about critiques, but having this embedded critiques within a class, mandatory three to four critiques in a semester where everybody gets to look at your work and everybody gets to say in the work that you've done, I think it's important and I was looking for that kind of design course in the program, but I think there's not much on that on UI design because it's not about, like like we said, it's about the process, not the visual aesthetics, but I would also like to have some visual aesthetics within UI and UX, like how to critique. I would second that. I've I've had marketing classes where we were more heavily critiqued than some of the classes that we're taking now. I feel like I haven't had that. Like I thought it would be more cutthroat or like brutal <laughs> when we do critiques. To be honest, like I like this mark this marketing class. Like I still it was a new product development class, and I remember us having to like pitch the idea, pitch the branding, the funding that we were going to do for this product. And then everyone was like, that's never going to work. That's not feasible. And just really ripping it apart. And yet not anything re remotely close to that during my two years here. I mean, yeah, I had a, I had a professor in my undergrad who used to throw pro projects in, tra in the trash. Like that was his, <gasps> that's what he was famous for. Oh I mean, my that's, God. <laughs> that's an extreme, but I think it just points to the level of critique that did happen. And we spent time on everyone's project. It wasn't something that was just, that we just blew over because we had to do it, you know? And I remember that it really helped us progress um, and improve. So I really wish that was more of an experience that happened in HCI. And I think something that goes with critique as well is learning how to present design decks and decks that kind of effectively communicate ideas. And that's something I had to learn when I was in an agency. And I remember my boss looking at my decks and just completely trashing them. <laughs> and then after a while, I learned why. And yeah, I think I've, I've built that skill up now. But that's something that I think every 
UX designers should know the basics of. I feel like those hot takes honestly also apply to research and I'm sure other fields too, like not to be exclusive or anything, but research critique and peer review is like a huge thing. And like purely academic research, your research also gets like slaughtered by your peers, you know, and, and you really do have to come back with solid ideas. And yeah, I wish we did more like even like research reviews, um, the way like we should do design reviews more in our program. And also I think presenting like Rhea, to your point, I feel like researchers also need to know how to present research findings. Like no one knows what we do anyway. So mm -hmm. we got to get better at that. Yeah, I think with um, presenting, like I've noticed we do a lot of like longer presentations in some of our classes, like final presentations, I mean, where you present maybe 15 to 20 minutes over like a bigger project that you did like all semester. But I think we could really benefit from doing like those short, quick presentations where you really have to be concise and show whether it's like showing your design ideas, maybe going over like your general research questions or your research plan or just like those short and sweet ones. Because some people can be pretty chatty, myself included, when presenting. So I think that could help us out. Well, we just want to say thank you so much to Rhea and Sue for joining us on this episode of the HC Hive. Uh, this was a really fun episode. I feel like I just thought a lot during this episode. <laughs> Lots of contemplation and meditation. So just thank you for sharing all your insights and your experiences and your stories. Thank you. Hope it was fun and helpful. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I would um, second Harshali. I think this was lots of pauses, but pauses meant pa like for thinking, which I think <laughs> is really good. Uh, but yeah, and to all of, all of our listeners out there, tune in next time for an episode about AR and VR. Because if you know, you know. And if you don't, yikes. Hey, just a moment. There's more. This week, we're featuring our friend Teddy Robinson. Teddy is a musician and vlogger currently based in the Netherlands. The track is called Rich Boys. If you like what you hear, check out more of Teddy's music on all streaming platforms. And you can find his vlog on YouTube. Find those details in the episode description. And here it is, Rich Boys. I make big bucks, I got big toys We them rich boys, we them rich boys I got big bucks, I make big toys We them rich boys, we them rich boys Hey, we be the Martians, come and get us out the starship We be so heartless, do you really wanna start this? My crew is the realest and we also fearless Sip on tea like the drillers My girl in the feelings My mouth full of fillers I'm making the killing 15k for a show I'm just out letting you know Feel free to write up some notes She put it all in the nose I don't put shit in my nose That shit to me is a no I'm out here going for gold Wake up in the morning, gotta get it I'm out for the better shit, I swear it Staying on top and my links stay embedded They talk shit on reddit, I just talk percentage Now the whole world on the way Micro from outer space Won't you just stay in your place We at the top and my pops is Bill Gates I make big bucks I got big toys We them rich boys We them rich boys 
got big bucks, I make big toys We them rich boys, we them rich boys Ay, I make big bucks, I got big toys We them rich boys, we them rich boys Ay, I got big bucks, Ay, and I got big toys Ay, We be them rich boys, Ay, we be them rich boys We be them rich boys you just a bitch, boy I'm on my dice again You don't get it, soy I'm always easy to find Catch me in Conji, Conji Got the long head looking fine Cause be like OMG, OMG Real talk, I don't fuck with tomatoes I'm allergic Salad with the death sauce in it I'ma splurge it Skilling up, tryna take off Staying hot, like napalm Press the death, kick it with Sayon Only time you see me is a seance Only time you see me is a seance, bitch Ay. Only time you see me, ay, ay. Only time you see me, ay. Bunch of choppers and some booty floppers Make a slip and slopper, grab a bite of collar Then, uh, moving then I skirt out Never get the workout, better not a hurt out I just see myself out in better days Jeffree Star on my Kanye face Keep my edges laid Yeah, I'm looking pretty Cause I'm getting laid And I'm getting paid Money drop down like bands Catch a couple gold wrists Watch on my hand Catch her in the ride And I catch her in my plans Running with the crew And I'm running with the clan Big rocks on my hand Looking like a caught onyx Making moves in Japan Mix the sake with the tonic I make big bucks I got big toys We them rich boys We them Rich boys, I got big bucks, I make big toys, we them rich boys, we them rich boys.